There's over 5,000 microbreweries in the U.S. How does a giant like Anheuser-Busch keep up? Welcome to Inside Outside Innovation. I'm the producer, Victory Clafter. This is episode 47, with the second part of our interview with Derek Mock, Senior Innovation Brand Manager at Anheuser-Busch. In this episode, Derek shares more about how the team was able to pull off such a multidimensional innovation effort in a relatively short amount of time with their new brand, The Best Damn Brewing Company. We also get to hear about the diverse set of outlets ABI uses to engage with startups and solve problems without having to completely reinvent the wheel or the beer. One way that you can engage with startups and innovate in your industry without going back to square one is by attending our Inside Outside Innovation Summit happening June 19th through the 21st in Lincoln, Nebraska. Corporations, startups, partnerships, award-winning speakers, a $100,000 pitch contest for startups, plus other prizes, and Midwestern hospitality. If you want more info, jump back a few episodes and listen to our special summit announcement or go to theiosummit.com where you can also get your ticket. What I like about this story is that it appears that it was multifaceted innovation. So it was not just, let's come up with a new product, we're going to a new market, and we're potentially going to use new distribution models or, or things along those lines. So all of those things had to come together to kind of create this new category. Part of it was identifying this opportunity that um, was understanding how the broader category was interacting and revealing an opportunity in from a product standpoint in this hard sodas arena. So we were able to identify that quite a bit before launch and share that up. And we got challenged back to create something from a product standpoint that could fulfill a product role in that and other arenas. So we, we had clear guidance from the CMO of the U.S. at the time, the vice president of innovation for the U.S. business at the time, and had a clear opportunity to uh, engage with them as needed. What that set in motion then was cross-functional alignment to the heads of all of the, the key functions that uh, that it takes in any company and certainly in our company to make it happen, right? So everyone from uh, our brewmasters, our packaging innovators, our brand launch team, our sales team, our legal team, our all of our agency partners, truly the, the whole innovation ecosystem, right? It, it lines everybody up that this is a real company priority, that we're partway down the journey and need to accelerate our progress down that journey. And so it helped to really clarify, let's say, uh, a common goal for everyone touching it, right? And that's easier said than done. So we had standing calls multiple times a week with the key stakeholders. We had a uh, text me or call me any time of day, understanding for myself and leaders across the different functions so that we could remove barriers quickly. And then, then to what you touched on earlier, that's really when a big company can move like a small company but still have additional resources that can bring to bear that can, can maybe make it even more fun to innovate in, frankly, than in a, than in a smaller business. So, for example, we encountered a, a challenge on the way to launch that required us to invest in option value, knowing that part of that option value was never going to be brought to bear in a way that, that consumers would see, right? Mm-hmm. So you, you pick an A and a B route. You, you can make a choice with resourcing if you're prioritizing Timing versus cost, as long as the cost is reasonable, right? And you, you do the quick math, and as long as the timing you're getting yourself makes sense, you can pick an A and a B, know that, knowing that you're only going to go with A or B ultimately, right? Right. And uh, we hit a milestone like that on this project, got senior leadership green light to move forward, and we're able to do that. But we only were able to do that through creative problem solving and open communication from the experts who are leading that area. 
right? I happen to have the chance to be the project leader, but I would not have come up with that creative solution without that being recommended. And then it was just my job at that point to facilitate what I thought was a, a clever solve and, uh, and get approval to go forward with it from our senior leaders. So uh, obviously, a, a massive project like this, there's you're bound to run into some challenges. Can you share any good war stories about uh, some of the challenges you overcame and, and how other corporations could kind of model that? So we were trying to push the envelope to be differentiated, right? And a category that I mentioned was this competitive, again, over 5,000 players all creative, driven, smart, passionate about beer. It's a competitive category, right? So, so differentiation is a real challenge. And especially if you're differentiating but want to leverage some pre-existing category cues because you, you believe it will help you solve that consumer problem you've identified, right? So we didn't want to go too far from some of what we believe were important category cues and proposition we're bringing to life. Where we did want to push the envelope is in our packaging. So this mm-hmm. is, you know, my understanding is this is the first time in the category that we've ever done what we call the secondary packaging or the, in this case, the six pack carton. So the, yep. the carrier that the bottle sit in, right? Yep. Uh, it's the first time that we've done the, the board the way that it was done. So it's craft paper on the outside and it's a uh, high gloss, uh, what we call flood coated interior on the inside of the package. So the root beer is a golden brown, the apple ale is a bright candy apple red. And so it, it creates an interesting effect that's, that's a bit unique and ownable for the brand. And then it also creates a very high-quality craft look and feel on the exterior of the package, right? So it's, you know, a bit of some of the, if you think from a design inspiration standpoint, things that you would see hand-labeled at a farmer's market, right? So it's labeling a mason jar with just a paper and unbleached paper label is that effect that it creates. Well, that hadn't been done before, right? And the benefit of having UV coating and uh, the other things that are on the outside of a traditional package is that it prevents some of the friction that can create dust in shipping when you palletize the product, right? And so, again, you can relate to this in any almost any CPG category, right? You have to make sure that you do the QA work on the, on the shipping side. So we were unsure. We knew we needed additional testing on QA, and so we chose to go an A and a B route pre-launch. And then, of course, we wanted to make sure that we had tested this for ultimately all modes of transit. So we tested this for the most common modes of transit and then put testing plans in place for the remainder and hit a couple challenges along the way. And what we learned from that, the lesson to reapply is open communication, sharing risk clearly, and then making a, an informed recommendation to leadership inclusive of those outlined costs and or risks. And we were able to do that in a way that at the end of the day, every product the consumer bought and has bought since has been of the utmost quality and we're proud of that. And we know, you know, how the sausage was made, so to speak, but the way that we were able to get that done successfully on on timing was open communication across the team, people understanding the what the priorities were and why. And then having the autonomy within the team to lead those recommendations up. So mm-hmm. that, I think, is the, the set of lessons to learn is know what your priorities are, right? And clearly choose to make a trade-off on one or the other. In this case, it was the, the time to market versus cost efficiency. Yep. As long as people are clear on that, then create a path to, in our case, to dual path, which was the, the implicit outcome. And then have an open communication, knowing that there's not the room for error and additional do loops that you might have in a longer innovation timeline, right? In this case, we're crunching out a lot of the buffer, all of the buffer in the, by the end of this one. And so, you know, share that up openly, right? As the project leader, sharing that up openly helps leaders understand that when we choose to commit this to our external partners, we try very, very hard to not miss, right? Mm-hmm. So if we're asking for our wholesalers and our retailers to prioritize a launch of something, 
we don't want to tell them it's going to be January 1st and get there February 1st, right? right. We, need, we, need, to, we yeah. need to hit it if we're looking someone in the eye uh, across the table and asking for their good faith to partner with us to bring something to life. I think that's important. Like for bigger corporations, that's where a lot of folks, they don't take those risks because the, the, the potential downside is so huge for a bigger corporation from brand perspective or whatever. If they do miss, you know, they typically take smaller bets because of that versus a startup that, if, hey, if they miss and they go out of business, you know, it's not quite uh, the same as uh, Anheuser-Busch, you know, having having the same type of problems. So uh, it's interesting to see how you guys both prioritize and understand that risk, but yet still execute against it. Well, and, and candidly, we, we've had our hits and misses, right? So what one of the things that we pride ourselves on, honestly, is being honest about those. And mm-hmm. But I, I, I see this consistently inside the company, that people are honest about those inside and outside, right? So in, in meetings I've been in, with our, our retail partners or our, our wholesalers, I've tried when, when I'm in those conversations to be honest on, hey, we've done things inside that haven't worked. In some cases on the, on the way to launching Best Stand, I wrote a lot of concepts along with our, our insights team, our agency team. You know, collectively, we came up with a lot of brand ideas that uh, frankly weren't as powerful as this one, right? So we had to own that when we were at those earlier stages, but you know, we're not ready yet. We're not ready yet you know what, we farther clarified the problem statement that we're solving for consumers. And then all of a sudden, you shine the light on the creatives and give them chance, uh, a chance to, to push you, right? We, right, we right. at the start of the project, would have never thought we launched something with a name like FSTM, but honestly, <laughs> it, it worked, right? That's fantastic. So startups in general, you, you're seeing this outreach of thousands of startups that are being created in virtually every industry. And it sounds like the beer market's no stranger to this as well with, you know, 5,000 new microbrews popping up and, and everything across the United States. Are there different ways that Anheuser-Busch is kind of engaging with these startups other than just directly competing with them? Are there different ways that you're looking at the marketplace and the new uprising of all these startups and, and playing with them, partnering with them, things along those lines? So when we look at external partners, we use agency partners that sometimes are a handful of folks in one office, you know, crammed together through larger, more traditional advertising agencies to push our thinking. We seek out experts in a space or, uh, and frankly, where I've personally been most successful at picking agency partners is when I've spent the most time with the problem, really understanding what problem I'm trying to, you know, on behalf of the team we're trying to solve. Mm-hmm. And then finding someone who's got expertise in solving a problem like that, uh, whether or not they've spent 30 years in our category in innovation, you know, that, that's been very helpful um, for me. Another one is, so we talked about the hard sort of product space and best damn brewing company as a, a brand proposition earlier, but alcoholic seltzers, hard seltzers, you know, if you haven't heard of them, you will. It'll be even more prevalent in the, the broader market at a national scale in 2017 from us uh, and other uh, other big players in the industry. So in that one, we uh, consider partnering with folks already in the space. We have uh, an organization within the company called The High End, and The High End is tasked with sort of pushing the industry forward and, and disproportionately driving industry value forward, and often partners with folks who have created a, a great brand, great beers, great company, and can benefit them from our company's scale and, and effectiveness in, in bringing their, the brand they've created, the beers they've brewed to more folks, right, is essentially the partnership that, uh, that we make. So on the smaller scale, we have, I, I think I mentioned earlier, we have our disruptive growth organization. And within that, we have the ZX Ventures Group, which is uh, our investment arm, our, a bit of an incubator sort of 
an envelope pusher, a, a, a learning organization all in one. So, um, in fact, I think they speak for themselves pretty well. If you don't mind, I'll, I'll read their own statement of identity as they describe themselves. Yeah, um, they call themselves a, a global disruptive growth group, an incubator and a venture capital team by, backed by one of the largest multinational companies in the world, ABI. Right? Their trade is dreaming up what the future looks like but doing it today. There's a small army of futurists, dreamers, doers, designers, engineers, scientists, marketers, brewers, builders, and data geeks. For them, the future is now. And the, the future is now bit is something that, that inspires the total innovation ecosystem inside the company. We believe that oftentimes the future is already here. It's just unevenly distributed, right? And that's something that it's a mantra that you often hear in an innovation ecosystem. I forget who to attribute that quote to, but I'm sure Somebody smarter than me said it once, but it's one that's inspired me and that inspires uh, us to look, as I mentioned before, look outside our own industry for folks who have solved problems like the one we're trying to solve, but also to bring folks in the fold either through through a combination of arrangements, right? These, this, this team can make minority investments in someone to learn. They can bring someone in-house as an incubator without making an investment up through a full acquisition of the company or the technology, right? And so mm-hmm. they are really tasked with finding all of those small companies doing really interesting things uh, and where it makes sense for our priorities together, right, in partnership with the leaders of the, of the company, finding a way to be where the whole is, is worth more than the sum of the parts, so to speak. So we, to answer your question succinctly, we, we partner across the space with agency folks who are experts in their field, with great entrepreneurs who have already launched a product but uh, have a chance to, to scale it up more based on what we see as the dynamics in the category and, mm-hmm. and, and where they can benefit from our scale. We can benefit from their expertise, story, and, and great beer. When there's product technology or, or um, product form or, uh, or an adjacent space where someone has expertise that we don't, you, you see us consistently making a lot of forays into different technologies uh, that are more nascent, smaller, smaller companies in a variety of ways of partnering with those firms through the DGO and the, and the DX Ventures group. So you'll keep seeing us do things like that to make sure that we stay on that on that cutting edge. Like I mentioned before, right? The, the company culture is very much never satisfied with where we are, and then as leaders in the industry with where the industry is today. So we are in several pushes as a concerted effort to move the industry and our company forward. Sounds great, Derek. I appreciate you coming on Inside Outside Innovation, and I look forward to hearing uh, more things in the future about uh, all the exciting things that are going on in the world of beer. So thanks very much, Derek. Likewise, Brian. Thanks for having me, and uh, cheers. Take cheers. Care. That wraps up part two of Derek Mock's interview on Inside Outside Innovation. Big, big thanks to him for sharing his time and insights with us. We here at IO Innovation firmly believe in the power of sharing our experiences in the realm of innovation, and that includes you. If you've got a story about how you've implemented something you've learned here in your own organization, or maybe you observed one of these concepts at work, we would love to interview you for our new project that's all about documenting your experiences here on the podcast. Contact us on Twitter at the IO Podcast for more information and on how to set up an interview. Until then, go out and innovate.